0: Well as Peter helpfully illustrated with that opening picture uh, as we've been uh, over at Petersham thinking about Ephesians, it is a very big picture view of what God's been doing. Uh, Ephesians gives us this, this picture of the things that God is, is doing, the things that he values. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, I, I sort of captured it in my mind as sort of flying back into Sydney and, and just sort of seeing the, the vast landscape and you sort of, you're just in awe of, of the depth of everything, but you're not able to really digest the specifics. And so uh, Ephesians moves from this very big picture uh, presentation of what God loves into the very specifics. And so being here in the middle of chapter 4, we get to sort of the most specific element where God is at work, and that is on individuals. Individuals. People who know God, who have received Jesus as Lord, who have been changed, are the very place where God is wanting to continue his magnificent work. And so what we see in Ephesians over and over again is that God desires change for all of us. God actually wants everyone in this room to be different in the future than we are right now. And so a key question this morning is, how are we going to change? If God wants us to change, if he wants us to be different, how is it going to happen? Now, change is something that we all wrestle with. Sometimes change is easier, whether it's a change in attitude, a change in behaviour, or a change of relating to a particular individual... Sometimes change is something that we conquer and other times it seems like it's something that we constantly battle with. But I wonder whether as we think about how we change, we often approach one of the following strategies. Firstly, the the try harder strategy. You know what you've been doing. You know what you need to start doing. So you set a change date, maybe the start of the month or the start of the year and you go from then on, I'm going to be different. From then on, when I'm with this person, I'm going to bite my tongue. From this day forward, I'm going to eat healthier. I'm not going to go to that aisle in the supermarket. From this day forward, I'm not going to drink alcohol. And sometimes we're successful and we're encouraged and perhaps even a little bit proud of ourselves. But other times, often in probably the same areas for us, We fail. And so we think, oh well, I'll have to repeat the process. We hope that something will be different next time. Well, sometimes we try hard. The second strategy is that sometimes we think, for me to change, I need to change my surroundings. I'm in this toxic workplace, this friendship group. I don't like the dynamics, so I'm going to leave. And when I leave, things will change. I'll be different. Now often, when we're in Really difficult environments, removing ourselves from those influences is a good thing. And often there is immediate change. We're less anxious. We're less angry. We're less fearful. But even when we change our surroundings, there's still the residual effect of what's happened in the past, isn't there? We've got sort of resentment. Or there's an inability to trust people again because we've, we've got the scars of hurt from last time. So simply changing our surroundings isn't always going to bring lasting change. Now perhaps the third strategy that we do is to put our hand up and we say, look, I actually need, need some help. I'm struggling to manage. I need a plan. I need someone to encourage me. So we go to the doctor, we go to a counsellor, we go to a physical trainer, whatever it is that we want to see changed, we go and get help. Someone who can give us an objective assessment about where things are at, can hopefully give us a plan for the way forward. Someone who can offer both support and accountability. And the reason that asking for help brings about change is that it's good not to try and do things by ourselves. It's helpful when we can get both encouragement and challenge from an outsider on a particular area that we're focusing on. And so sometimes it brings about lasting change. But other times it sort of becomes a little bit codependent. You know, you only exercise when the physical trainer is yelling at you. The kind of change that we desire is lasting change. And so whether you're prone to just try harder or just sort of move to another location or to constantly get help, how is change gonna be affected in your life? Well, the reason I think there's probably no one easy solution for each of us in changing ourselves is that we're all unique, aren't we? And one of the metaphors I want us to think about this morning is this idea of how we operate. So think about your phone think about your computer, you've got an operating system and whether you're a Mac person or a PC person, whether you're on Android or iOS, the device that you use for so much of life has a particular way that it's configured. It has a way that it sets up how you can do the things that you want to do and we become familiar with it, don't we? You know, one of the most frustrating things is when I see that my phone or my computer need a software update. Now, I'm hesitant because I've been burnt in the past. That software update, it turned my functioning phone into this super slow phone. Or on my computer, it changed it from where I just sort of knew how everything looked and worked to this completely foreign experience. See, often as we approach change we're sort of scared, scared of the the difference that it might be. There's this sort of tendency towards holding on to the familiar. And I think this is really the tone that Paul picks up on here in Ephesians 4, verse 17 to 24. This sort of tension of real change in our life. So let's have a look again, verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Uh, now Paul has talked at length throughout the letter of Ephesians about the contrast between those who were gentiles and those who were of Jewish background and the gra- differences that they had culturally and in their purposes of God were now brought together in a oneness these Gentiles who for so long had been separated, who were far off, God has brought them near. They are now at peace with him. But the difference that Paul is talking about now in chapter 4 is not cultural, it's behavioural. And so Paul here is warning all, whatever their cultural background, about the great danger of falling back into old habits. And so we see that this idea of no longer living in the futility of their minds, no longer living as they had in the past, where they justified any kind of life and attitude, they should no longer live in this misdirected approach to life. This idea of a futile thinking, it's getting caught up in the wrong things. It's like a university student who's got major assessments ahead of them to submit and they're just spending time and hours and hours on video games. They're misdirecting their thinking. There's something else that they should be focusing on. And so Paul is warning of the danger of being misdirected, how they had been in the past. But it's not just this misdirection. We see in verse 18... As he describes those who are outside of Christ, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now, if we just sort of stop and see what Paul's doing here, he's saying to those who are followers of Jesus, look out there in society at those who don't currently follow Jesus. You each were like them. So remember your past, but he keeps pointing to them now as a present picture of what those who follow Jesus were. And this description here is a grim one. This darkened mind. It's it's, it's a mind that isn't interpreting and understanding what they're seeing properly. Now it's a long weekend and I'm sure plenty of people have gone travelling to places and Oh, one of the most exciting things whenever I you know, go to somewhere new is often if you pull up at night, you know, you've seen the place that you've booked online and so you've got some idea of it, but you know, you, you, you pull in the driveway and your, hi- your headlights reveal some of it and then you try and find the, the lights to the place and the keys in and you turn the lights on and the kids sort of run around and, oh, where, where am I going to sleep? And then the sort of excitement of going somewhere new But it's only a very limited understanding of that place that you're staying in until the next morning when the sun comes up and you open the the curtains and you're like, oh, this is where we are. This is amazing. And so this is the picture, this sort of darkened understanding, this limited perspective that those who are outside of Christ have on the world that they live in. Now, it's not that they're without opinions about what matters, But Paul is saying that with this darkening of their understanding, there's actually a great danger in their trajectory because he says that they're also separated from life. And so just like the flowers in the vase, they look beautiful. They smell beautiful for a day or two, depending on when they're cut, maybe even a week. But then they slowly start to droop and eventually they die. Why is that? Because they're disconnected from the source of their life. And so too, without Christ, no matter how well someone presents, the trajectory of it is not life, but actually death. And so this separation that Paul describes constantly through the letter is a relational one. It's this idea of being alienated and separated from God. And why does that happen? Well, Paul says it's because of ignorance. Now, it's not an inability to access the information about how we can know God, but it's an unwillingness. You know, the idea of being stuck in your ways, being closed-minded. You know, we get this perspective on life. We work out how we do things. And then we just become initially probably disinterested with people who have other opinions. But the danger is, is that we actually become closed off. And the result of that is that our hearts become hard. Like wet cement that is poured and then set, those who are outside of Christ just become set and firmed in their ways. They're hardened in their hearts, they're unmovable. And so the result, verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. Again, remember what Paul doing here? He's talking to the Christians and he's saying, look at those who are without Christ now. Remember that you are just like them. And he's describing this way of living and the progression from the futile thinking to the ignorant, closed-minded attitude that becomes a hardened heart means that there's a loss of sensitivity. And so, just like a farmer or a tradie who works with their hands, they become calloused and hard. And that's really good if they're going to do some gardening because they can just not get torn up by thorns and prickles. But they they lose sensitivity. And so just like when we go to the dentist and and they inject the anesthetic so that we can't feel because they're going to need to do some work that's going to hurt, so too Paul is saying when we're constantly closed off towards God, we actually become desensitized. And because we are desensitized, there's a desire to feel again. And so Paul says having lost all sensitivity, they give themselves over. This giving yourself over is an entrusting to something or someone. And the surrendering that Paul describes is to sensuality, to indulge. To indulge in anything that might make them feel good. And so the purpose of indulging, to giving yourself over to any sensuality is that because you've become so desensitized to the good things that God has given, you need to feel some life elsewhere. And so Paul describes it as turning to any kind of impurity, pursuing anything that turns you on. And he links it here not just with the sensual the and obviously the sexual, but also this attitude of greed. Now what is greed? Greed. Well, it's a continual lust for more. You know, Karen talked about this idea of being content, but greed is just pursuing more, not being content with what you have, but always wanting a little bit extra, always pursuing something a little bit different. And why is that? Well, if your heart has been hard, if you've lost all sensitivity, you need something to make you feel good. And so, you know, often the term is that a big night escalated. You know, lots of drinking and just sort of lots of debauchery. But really, those big nights aren't escalating. They're degenerating. And Paul is saying, take warning. Have a look at how people are living. Remember that that is just how you were. And put off that life. Verse 20, That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You see, there has been a change. There's been a change of who they ultimately surrendered to, surrendering to their senses, trying to pursue anything to make them feel good, to now surrendering to a person. And so after hearing about Christ, after learning and being taught of the truth about him, they are now invited to live. You see, Paul is inviting them to use their their greatest faculties, their minds, to actually shape the way that they live. And so let's think about this image of the operating system what Paul is saying about how we change is not like the latest update to whatever operating system you've got at the moment. It's not just a little improvement. It's actually about changing your complete operating system. It's as drastic as always of having an iPhone and then being given something that runs Android and then having to work out how this is going to be your new normal. It's as dramatic as the fact that your home computer always runs Windows and your new workplace says, we do Mac here, and you've got to try and navigate. How am I going to even just find these files? Where are the photos? So too is the change that is going to come in Jesus. It's a life where there's all the same things. Work, rest, play... But the way that they are pursued and purposed is now different. And so just like that change of operating system is something that we're probably pretty reluctant to take. You know, if you've got a new job and they tell you that they're running Mac, you might think, do I really want to work here? Do I really want this new Android phone? So too Paul knows that there's a great temptation rather than engaging in this change process that God has is to just revert to what's easier. And what's easier is those old shoes because they're comfortable and maybe they're not that dirty and maybe the holes aren't that big. But Paul says, no, that is not what God has purposed for his people. God wants you to change. Change. And just to make sure you know that the change is worthwhile, he emphasises the old way. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Paul's saying, actually, the shoes are pretty ordinary. You know, the forecast is for a La Nina wet summer. You're going to have wet feet if you keep just walking around in those bad boys. That's not my purpose for you. Paul knows that the temptation for us to remember the old way, to be nostalgic about the past, to just go back to the familiar because it's easier, is something that we're all going to wrestle with. Whether it's in our attitude, whether it's in particular behaviours, whether it's in just the way that we relate. Paul says, no... That's a corrupted version of you. And just like a corrupted file just destroys the way a computer operates, you know, the bug that just sort of means that things don't work as they should, so too our old self is not the best you. It's not what God desires for you. And so we know it when we blow up in anger at all the same people, when we have these pretty judgmental thoughts about people that we've just met, when we actually feel the regret and the remorse of those times when we've just satisfied our ungodly desires, as we've just wanted to escape, as we've just wanted to feel loved. You see, the the expression of how we're corrupted is different for each of us. But God is clear that the old self is a corrupted version of you. And temptation is those moments where we just go to the old self to feel something, to just feel okay. But Paul says rather than going to it to just get a little hit, he says, put it off. In verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see what God is doing here? He wants to make you new. That's why just an update to your old version isn't enough. That's why there needs to be a complete change of operating system for all of us. It's not some personal makeover where we can actually bring about the change ourselves. The kind of change that God is doing is the change that is done to us. You see, we are passive in this. We are being made new, and God isn't want to sort of trying to manipulate us. He's not trying to change us to sort of get a, an army that he can sort of manipulate for his purposes. He's wanting to engage in this, us to engage in this change process with our highest faculty to change the attitude of our mind, to take on and to put on this new outlook, this new way of living life. And why is it such a dramatic change? Why is just a little update not enough? Well, we see what? What? God is wanting to change us to be. And we see it there that he's wanting us to be like him. Be like him in true righteousness and holiness. And the importance of that is so that we can dwell with him. Now he's not making us to be God. He's making us to be like God so that we can dwell with him, so that we can relate to him, because that's actually his greatest purpose, is that we would know him, that we would love him, that we would be able to dwell with him. So just as our old self, the old operating system, just sort of devolves into all kinds of depravity, God's purpose is that our new self would ascend, into all kinds of righteousness and holiness. You see, God wants each of us to be different this morning because his purpose for us is that increasingly we would become like him. Rather than just sort of some subjective moral code where we sort of go, well, I think I'm an okay kind of person, but we're still able to sort of justify behaviour that whatever we desire... God is saying, no, 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 I want you to be like me, and so my work is to change you to become more like me. And so God's plan for change in our lives is that we would be renewed, that we would be like him. And so the warning for each of us this morning is to resist that urge, to just to live the old way just to accept those particular behaviors or even just that attitude or that just unhealthy way of relating don't just accept it put it off and be changed so how is it that we're going to change well it's not that we totally disregard these other strategies that we talked about earlier think about the try harder. There's something true about the try harder approach to change. And the true bit, I think, is this. We are involved in change. We all know that the decisions that we make in our lives daily make a difference. Self-control is a muscle. And the more that we do something, the easier it is to continue to do it. But if we simply look within ourselves... And simply embark on change in our own capacity, then we're going to reach areas in our life that we're unable to change. And for those areas where change is evident, we're going to become immensely proud of it. Now the second idea of change was to change our surroundings and there's something true about that too. But God's purpose is for his people to embark on the change process together. That's why a church community is not just individuals relating to God, but a community where God is at work, changing individuals but also changing us as a group, changing us as we navigate life together, as we seek to function with one another for God's clear purposes. So that's why actually spending time with one another is important in the change process. God has gifted us one another to bring about this change in our life. And the third strategy about sticking our hand up and getting help is also a means by which God can bring about change. Seeking out specific experts or counsel in particular areas in our life that need change is a good thing. But we cannot naively submit everything to some expert, but we need to pursue change in our life with the aid of specific or professional help with God rather than without him. Now, some experts and some assistants might not want you to include God in the process. But we see here that God is committed to remaking his people, that he is wanting us to grow and grow in righteousness and holiness. So it's not that these three strategies of try harder, changing our surroundings, and seeking help are to be disregarded but it's to see how God might be using each of them in his greater purpose to bring about lasting change. Friends, we all need to be different. Now maybe this morning that there's a particular area that you're keenly aware of where that difference needs to be. Some attitude, some behaviour, some way of relating that you honestly know needs to be changed. Well, the good news is that God wants to bring about lasting change. So you're not alone in this venture. He is the one who can actually bring strength to you in those moments of weakness. God is inviting us Not to do the change ourselves, but to be a participant in what he's doing. Which is renewing, remaking, changing his people. So welcome him to bring about that change and play your part. And what's your part? Well, it's putting off the old. It's actually doing something. And then it's putting on the new. But maybe this morning, there's actually no area in your life that you're aware of that needs changing. Nothing that you sort of think, well, that really needs to be different. Friends, these are our blind spots. If God is wanting us to be like him, in true righteousness and holiness then for each of us there are things that need to be different and so this is why we spend a large amount of time trying to understand God's word we are to be expectant as we open up the Bible that God would be showing us areas that are important to him that he's wanting to change in us now, just for me this week, as um, I was reading a commentary for the upcoming Judges series, there's just this little phrase in a commentary that talked about greed. And greed's in our passage today about the spiralling descendancy of just indulging the desires. And the commentator said about greed, he said, Christians across the history of the world would be shocked at the amount of money that Christians in the Western world today spend on themselves. And, and that hit me hard I wasn't expecting it I was doing some prep work on a series on judges but I was convicted <laughs> actually my attitude to money how, how much of the money that I've got to just get spent on stuff that is for me fair bit and so this is why you know, we've been talking about and starting to talk about to be a community that's deliberately and daily shaped by the word why is that? Well, it's not just because that's what churches should be doing. It's because God is wanting to change His people. And how He changes us is when we listen, is when we allow His word to deliberately have a place in our life, and that we are daily wanting His voice to be the loudest and most frequent voice that we hear. So, friends, just to conclude how might each of us be more deliberate in allowing God's word to shape us? How might we create some space daily and then protect that space, because it requires both, create space and then protect it for God's word to shape us? Why might we want to do that? Well, it's because God wants us to be different. God is wanting to change us. He's wanting us to be like him so that we can dwell with him. Friends, what a joy it is to be changed. This is what God is desiring for his people. Let's play our part and see the wonder of what he does in each of our lives let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for the gift of your son Jesus. We thank you that in him there is a new way of living. We thank you that he is the first son of the new creation. And Lord, we do pray that as we hold on to him, that we would live and put on the new self. Father, for us here today who are keenly aware of areas that need change, who perhaps feel weak and discouraged, we pray for your strength, for us here this morning who are aware of areas of change but we are being um, darkened in our understanding and hard in our hearts and just sort of accepting of things that are unacceptable to you, may we be humbled and broken and may you rebuild us. And Lord for each of our blind spots as you make them aware to us help us not to be overwhelmed or scared but help us to engage in the change that you're wanting to do in us as we become aware of these areas. And we thank you that you are the one who brings about lasting change. We thank you that Real change is for a purpose of being able to dwell with you, fix our eyes on you, and strengthen us as we play our part. And we ask all this for Jesus' sake.